רגע, לפני שמתחילים, אם אתם יכולים, בבקשה, דרגו אותנו באפליקציית הפודקאסטים שלכם. זה מאוד מאוד יעזור לנו להפיץ את הבשורה של הערוץ ליותר אנשים. ממש תודה רבה לכם. פתיח ומתחילים. Next time your wife gets mad about you, you simply can show her the book when men behave badly, smile and say, honey, it's not me, it's evolution. Or just stop being a schmuck and behave properly. And the tension between those two advices is our topic today. Hi, and welcome to the show, The World of Roy Yosevich, where I host the most interesting and influential people from all around the world to discuss science, philosophy, religion, and artificial intelligence. If this is your first time here, please consider subscribing and hit the bell button. My guest today is Professor David M. Bass. Professor Bass is a professor of psychology at University of Texas, Austin. His primary research focus on strategies of human mating, particularly the dark side of human mating, including conflict between the sexes, jealousy, stalking, intimate partner violence, and murder. He's the author of the great textbook, Evolutionary Psychology, which is a great introduction to this fascinating topic, uh, why women have sex, uh, uh, and even more, and most recent, when men behave badly. This is a book that encapsulates 30 years of research and three years of writing. So, David, how are you? It's great to have you on the show. Thank you. It's a, it's a delight to be here chatting with you. Okay, it's my pleasure as well. So, I would like to start with my introduction with like the two advices or drawing a line between evolutionary psychology and your latest book. So, Evolutionary psychology basically says that some of our behaviors can be derived or explained via evolutionary processes. But this fact alone doesn't provide the moral justification for such a behavior. For example, men want to as many sexual partners as they can, but as David Hume says, you one cannot derive out from an is, and this Uh, evolutionary behavior doesn't mean that this is the optimal behavior. Am I right? Yes, uh, you're absolutely right about that. And this is one of the, uh, it's a very pervasive confusion that people make between uh, explaining a pattern of human behavior and morally justifying it. And, and is does not equate to ought. Uh, now, um, you know, people, You know commonly make this mistake they think well if it's evolved there's nothing we can do about it it's uh you know uh but um but these kinds of confusions and these moral justifications have been used historically no matter what the causal origins are so uh this person couldn't help murdering his neighbor because he grew up in poverty or he lived in a bad culture or He had bad, bad parents or uh, in some cases had bad genes. So, um, you know, I think we have to make a clear distinction between what exists and what ought to exist. And just by way of analogy, one illustration I use in the book is cancer. 
No one would say to a cancer researcher, oh, you're studying cancer, therefore you think cancer should exist and we want to spread cancer widely. No, uh, you know, we want to eradicate cancer and so we want to understand the causes of cancer in order to eradicate it. And I make a similar argument in my book, When Men Behave Badly, that, that there, are bad there are bad deeds that men do and men have a monopoly on these bad deeds uh, when it comes to the sexual violence. Uh, and so we need to understand the causal origins, the individual differences, the circumstances in which they're expressed in order to cure the problem. This is immensely important because again, like you said, cancer is a part of the evolutionary process, although it is bad. And again, something that they are also part of the evolutionary process can be also regarded as bad in, in especially in the context of moral meaning. So let's start with, a, you use the word mating a lot. And you say that sex is only one part of mating. So what does mating encapsulate? Well, uh, mating is, um, uh, the reason I use the term when I started studying it is because it, it encompasses much more than sex. So um, the topics that I've studied include uh, what qualities do people desire in mates? What tactics do people use to attract mates? Um, what, uh, what are the sources of conflict within relationships? How do people keep mates or guard mates? How do people get rid of bad mates? And so there's a long um, series of uh, actions, strategies, and behaviors that just the term sex doesn't do the trick. And so, uh, and so in fact, most of what I've studied is not sexual behavior per se, uh, but everything around it. And as a, as a sexually reproducing species, uh, this is of course critically important. I mean, the selection of a mate is probably the single most important decision a human can make in their entire lives. Uh, you know, it is the process by which Uh, we transmit our genes to future generations. And so uh, if, we, if we were asexual, uh, like some species are, our life would be a lot simpler, but we are a sexually reproducing species. And so all those other things around sex, leading up to sex and in the aftermath of sex are critical. But not only that it is critical because of our organs or our mechanism of reproduction is vastly different, women tend to be, for example, and we have many uh, research that confirm this, much more selective than men because a, a, a mistake, a woman or, or a female mistake in choosing the right mate will cost her much more than, a, than an error in male choosing his female partner. So it is very different how we treat Each, each part of uh, this tango, yes? Yes, uh, I, would, I would qualify that though by saying that that is especially true with short-term sex, casual sex or hookups. In long-term, maybe the, the critical thing has to do with the amount of investment a man and a woman devote to produce a single child. And the minimum case for a woman is that nine months of pregnancy, minimum case for men is one act of sex. Okay, but men typically do a lot more than the minimum. And so in long-term mating, 
both sexes are very, very selective about who they, uh, who they mate with because men's uh, devotion of time, energy, resources, uh, and so forth are, are just as valuable. And so um, men are very, very choosy when it comes to long-term mates um, and women are as well. But when it comes to short-term casual sex, uh, women maintain high standards. Men Maybe kind of this is so important because we all, always get mm-hmm. this uh, Tinder statistics when men hit, yes, I like like 47% of the <laughs> yeah. time and women only 12. And you say, yes, but bear in mind, many men mm-hmm. use or utilize Tinder as a base for finding a one night stand. And right, if right. Tinder would have been another app for long-term relationship, men would be as selective as women. Am I right? Yeah, yes, yeah, exactly. And, and, and that's and, and, and this difference. Yes, I think that distinction between short-term mating and long-term mating is, is absolutely critical because um, what you want in a mate shifts according to that temporal dimension. The tactics you use to attract mates differs. And, um, and, and, and exactly as you said, Tinder is primarily a hookup dating app so there are other apps like bumble for example or eHarmony or that, that are more oriented toward long-term mating okay now uh let's start with a okay, conflict <laughs> because we we, we need to speak <laughs> yeah. about conflict now you say that mm-hmm. sexual conflict is the root for conflict between the sexes so so the, like the base the base the basic thing and underground is a sexual conflict and you even said that even homicide is more often than not related to sex right why people kill other people is more often than not related to uh, uh, to the battle between the sexes so maybe after all Freud was right and the most important fuel of our life is not meaning as uh, as other psychologists said uh, uh, but sex, or if I put it differently, maybe what you do is to give the scientific foundation to Freud ideas. Well, uh, I, I don't know. I mean, Freud was uh, a genius in some respects in highlighting the importance of sex, which has been ignored by many uh, psychological theorists. Uh, but he, and, and in fact, he was very much influenced by Charles Darwin and his theory of evolution. And in fact, if you go back to Freud, his early formulation uh, was that there were uh, survival instincts and sexual instincts. And later then he combined the two and so forth. And as his theory progressed, he started to depart from uh, a deep understanding of evolutionary theory. And so, and so I give Freud absolute credit for highlighting the importance of sex, but he didn't quite have it right. Uh, and so our modern understanding of the evolved psychology that has resulted from sexual selection is much, much more sophisticated than, uh, than it was in Freud's time. But even now you say that sex is still a main factor in human behavior. And like I said, I quoted you, even homicide, when people, yeah. when, when a person decides to kill another person, it is more often than not is related somehow to uh, women or, or, or a sex battle, yes? Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. And, and so, um, you know, th- there are obvious examples where a man might kill a mate poacher, 
as, a, as I call them, someone, an interloper who has sex with his wife. Um, and there are some cases where men kill their wives uh, or ex-wives who, who have committed infidelity or threatened to desert them. But there are many forms of homicide that are, uh, the way I would phrase it is they're tributary to mating and sexuality. So for example, men compete over status. You know, we evolved in small groups. All groups have status hierarchies. Position and status hierarchy is critical for mating success and for access to reproductively relevant resources in general. Uh, and so men fight and die and kill over, over status and reputation. Uh, and so you may think, well, that has nothing to do with mating, but of course it has everything to do with mating. Yeah, because it, definitely. Because, yeah, so, so, so you have to look at not just those things that are sort of immediately related to sexual conflict, like an in sexual infidelity, but also things that are tributary to things like status. I think that Steven Pinker in The Blank Slate said that there are much more men without children than women without children because the status mm -hmm. rank is what enable men to spread the genes to the next generation. And women like stand in a barrier and say, listen, I don't want your gene to pass on. So this is <laughs> one of the things. Now, yeah. a, a, one thing that I- they, like, they don't think this consciously, of course. Yeah, they, yeah, yeah, they, yeah, yeah, definitely, yeah, yeah. definitely, definitely, <laughs> yeah. definitely, definitely, yeah, <laughs> definitely. Now, they just, they just like certain guys <laughs> and don't like other guys. Yeah. <laughs> okay, my <laughs> wife does, but, <laughs> and, but, one thing that I love about uh, evolutionary psychology is that it explains many of the jokes, many of the science between uh, or underneath the jokes. Now, there, there is a famous Seinfeld quote that women need a reason to have sex while men need, need a place. And uh, this is also part of, of this conflict. And you also wrote the book, Why Women Have Sex. So my question is regarding to this conflict that men or male wants more, uh, uh, males want more sex than females. And you can see it every time you go to and visit the zoo, that the males are much more uh, passionate about this uh, activity. <laughs> yeah. How does this conflict manifest in other animals? Or, or what is the meaning or the ramifications of this conflict in human behavior? Well, okay, well, first of all, every animal species has its own mating system. And so there's nothing that is really quite like human mating systems. Uh, but this sexual conflict, I, I, I argue in, in, in my new book, uh, When Men Behave Badly, that this desire, this sex difference in uh, desire for sexual variety is one of the root causes of sexual conflict because it leads men to infidelity, for example. And uh, another quote you mentioned, uh, the Seinfeld, which is a great source of information about human nature. Uh, but, uh, but there's a comedian, uh, I'm not sure if you're familiar with him, uh, Chris Rock, who said, yeah, uh, men, men, men are only as faithful as their opportunities. Uh, <laughs> and now, uh, now that's an exaggeration, okay? But, but men are vulnerable or susceptible to uh, opportunistic, low cost, low investment sex. Uh, and, so, and so this is a source of sexual conflict. Obviously it will disrupt the, um, the pair bond that a man and a woman have. 
Um, but also it leads men to do all kinds of things in order to satisfy that desire for sexual variety, such as deceiving women, such as coercing women, such as sexually harassing women, topics that I get into in some detail in the book. Yes, and we will get to that later on in our conversation. But there is another uh, side to this <clears throat> coin, and decides that there, there is an old saying from the Jewish Talmud that even if a woman is in a marriage relationship, she still seeks for new potential mates. Now, you and Dantley actually confirmed this ancient wisdom in your, like, backup mate. So it seems that backup mate, backup mate is like the female version of infidelity. Am I right? And could you please elaborate on what backup mate is? Yeah. Oh, so I, yeah, I have a section in the book on backup mates, and this is one of the things that I think will be disturbing to men who are listening to your podcast. That, and haven't learned the Jewish Talmud. They <laughs> haven't learned the Jewish Talmud. But that, that women, even if they're in happy relationships, still cultivate backup potential mates, what I call mate insurance. So just like um, you have car insurance, house insurance, something can always go wrong. It is crazy. Uh, I read it and I just, it, it blew my mind. <laughs> yeah. So, but I mean, you think uh, ancestral humans and modern humans, something could always go wrong. So your mate could die, uh, your mate could get injured, your mate could not come back from a war uh, or get seriously injured in a, in a fight with other males, uh, or your mate could dump you. Uh, and so people who failed to cultivate backup mates um, would have had to start the mating process from square one. And so I argue that this backup mate psychology is a critical aspect, uh, especially important for women. And it's, again, part of the conflict. I, I, I don't know what to do with this theory. It, it just seems like, you know, your best friend is not actually your best friend, but <laughs> I, I really don't right. know. And you said that uh -huh. in your research with Dantley, when the backup mate is dead, for example, is get killed, or like, like let's say that the backup mate is a neighbor and is a, a dead, so the woman which is in her happy relationship is very, very frustrated because she just lost her backup mate. Yes. So, so it, it, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't think I use the, the, the dead, the backup mate getting dead, but, but the backup mate getting seriously involved with another, with another woman. So if a backup mate of a woman gets married, for example, that takes him out of the pool as a backup mate. Wow. This is amazing. Okay, so let's uh, go on to short-term versus long-term relationship because I think that there is like an egg and chicken problem here. And again, you just mentioned that, the, that there is a distinction between Tinder being a short-term approaches and other things that are long-term. Uh, long and it seems to me, that, so it's, it, either that we need to be in long-term relationship because God told us so, or God told us so because there is something inherent in our evolutionary, in our biology that strive to long-term relationship. We are one of the only, it's not only, but we, we, we are very unique in the animal kingdom as yeah. preserving a long-term relationship. So what are the evolutionaries, the biology sources of, this strategy of long-term relationships? 
Well, well, so they're 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 fairly clear from a female perspective, from a woman's perspective, in, in that long-term mating, uh, she has a partner who will provide, who will protect uh, over the long term, uh, both her and her children. The puzzle is why men would ever commit to it. Uh, and in my in my book, Evolutionary Psychology, my textbook that you kindly mentioned, I talk about seven different evolutionary causes of long-term committed mating from a male perspective. So there are things like um, increased in uh, assurance of paternity, that he is the actual father um, uh, of the child. And that occurs in long-term mating. There's no guarantee in short-term mating. Of course, there's no absolute guarantee in long-term mating, but it's an increased probability that the man is the father. Uh, protection of the children, increased survival of the children, um, Etc. So, uh, so yet you're absolutely right. So, it is estimated that only somewhere between three and five percent of all mammals, of which we are one, have anything resembling a long-term mating strategy. The humans clearly do. We have adaptations for pair bonding, for attachment, for falling in love, for committing to one person over the long term. And it seems that we're just eliminating the alpha male concept and just. Uh, throughout Christianity, even throughout, you know, the hunter-gatherer, the tribal or organizations, we just like, it seems like, like even ancient religion, religions just uh, make sure that every man gets to be with at least one woman. So it won't, uh, so, so he won't be so much frustrated because we don't have this alpha male approaches in a, uh, you in human societies? Well, well, but we still do to some degree. So uh, even in presumptively monogamous cultures where men are limited to one wife, they sometimes engage in serial mating. So have mating, breakup, divorce, remating. Uh, and then of course, uh, infidelity. Uh, so, so men are, are more prone to infidelity. Uh, than, than women. And so, yeah, there is a, there is a kind of a reproductive leveling of the playing field with humans, but it's still the case, as you pointed out earlier, that in every generation, uh, a smaller subset of males reproduces compared to a larger subset of females. Most fertile females end up reproducing. And we know this from the molecular genetic evidence that you, we, we, we can see that. And, uh, and it occurs throughout the world and it's still occurring in, in the current generation. And again, but, but, but this, I think, proves that women at the final mm. stage do, more, uh, do tend to be more selective than men because they don't want to breed with every man. They are more selective even in the long-term relationship, no? Well, well uh, I, I guess I would still take issue with that. So they are selective with respect to the man's status, his resources, and his commitment to her. And so this is creating a big problem in the modern world that I call the uh, mating crisis among educated women, because more women than men are getting college and university. It's very university. hard to find someone which is in a higher status than you if you are like the CEO or if you are very, very talented, very, very smart. Who can you find that we, which is smarter, wealthier than you? Right. Well, as, well what women want is, is equal or above them in education, intelligence, status, and resources. Uh, and so it's that mate preference 
for those qualities combined with the fact that there are fewer and fewer men in, in now, uh, wasn't true in the past, that have those qualities that women desire. So oh. that's, what's caused, that's what's causing the mating crisis. Okay, so I, I just wanted to move to, to the status question, but one more thing, mm-hmm. because we just mentioned, you know, the difference between uh, humans and the uh, other animals. And now there is a famous song from the 90s, goes like this, you and me, baby, are nothing but mammals, so let's do it like they do on the Discovery <laughs> Channel. I, I guess <laughs> if you are familiar with this song. Now, it, now uh-huh. it, it is right that humans <clears throat> and chimps are both very sophisticated mammals, but it seems that there is a huge difference between our sex lives. Ro- uh, Roger Scroton speaks of almost a transcendental aspect of human sex life. So are we that different Uh, in the context of sex life than uh, uh, other mammals? Yeah, a- absolutely. So uh, if you compare humans to our closest primate relative, which is the chimpanzee, with whom we share more than 98% of our DNA, mating systems are entirely different. So in the chimps, uh, most of the mating occurs when the female comes into estrus or, or heat, and, and it tends to be the dominant or alpha males who mate with her during that time. After that, they basically go their own separate ways. They don't have anything resembling a long-term mating strategy, uh, but humans do. Um, and, so, and so we have uh, A, sex throughout the ovulation cycle, uh, although there are some, uh, some religions, uh, which you might be familiar with, that, tr- that do restrict it to when the woman is menstruating. Uh, but, um, but we have long-term mating, And short-term mating and everything in between. That's why I say with humans we have a, a complex menu of mating strategies, short-term, long-term, serial mating, polygynous mating, uh, and which aspect or which strategy that humans, uh, an individual human engages in depends on his or her mate value, the social circumstances, the legal circumstances in which they find themselves. So, um, so yeah, we are vastly different from chimpanzees and, and probably, and I would say all other mammals in the complexity of our menu of mating strategies. I would say that all animals are reproduced and having intercourse, all mammals, but only humans also, in addition to all of this, make love. Yes, yeah. yeah, I would agree with that. Yeah, that, that love is, and I've written a couple of papers on love and do, and do talk about it, that, that um, love is, a, is an emotion that evolved in the context of long-term committed relationships. And so- uh, And I would even argue, again, and I, I would even argue that, the, that even the, almost the mechanics of making love is different that have sex. The, it's, it's like a different procedure If you're in a long-term, yeah. happy, loving relationship, it is something completely different. So I, yes. okay. So the song is not correct. Okay, so let's move to the status <laughs> uh, the I think that Jordan Peterson made famous the lobster theory, which basically said that hierarchy uh, is here for like millions of years. And even lobsters suffer from the hierarchy status. And, Hierarchy is not that a, a social construct that you uh, build. It is something inherited in our biology. And uh, I would say, how do women rank? How do 
women know in which status the man is because they don't know his wealth, they don't know his intelligence, they don't know his how smart is he is. It's just like a guessing game. So how do women guess the man's status? Yeah, yeah. Well, I wouldn't say it's a guessing game. They use cues that are statistically correlated with status. So one of the most important ones is the attention structure. So the people high in status are those to whom the most people pay the most attention. And so women can use the attention structure as a cue to status. Uh, and then of course, there are other things which are, I think that's probably the most important one, but there are other things like uh, his, uh, his, his wealth. You, they can observe that in the modern world. Ancestrally, it would have been, is this guy uh, reliably a good hunter? So that's what increases status ancestrally in small group hunter-gatherer societies. But in the modern environment, we have other things where uh, cars, houses, possessions, which are imperfect indicators of status, but they are still correlated with status. Would you, course, agree, would you agree that the metrics for evaluating mm-hmm. status are different between men and women? So women seek status in one, two, three, and men seek status in four, five, six, so in different areas. It, it might be like beauty versus, versus power or wealth. Yeah, 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 of course, yeah, the qualities, and I, I recently published a, a, a paper on precisely this topic that the, there are sex differences in what leads to high status or low status. Um, and, um, and, and they are some of the, and they are some of those things. And so for better or for worse, physical appearance or beauty is a more important component of female status than male status. So you look at, I mean, you can see this in the, look at, look at rock stars. You know, if you just took a photo of some of these rock stars, uh, most women, if they didn't know who these people were, would find them really ugly and unattractive, but because they have status that elevates their attractiveness. So, uh, so, 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 yeah. In almost every sports car that I've ever seen, there is an old guy next to a beautiful young lady. So, it, and I want even to go further. Would men consider intelligence as a counterfactor? I don't want my woman to be over intelligence. I don't my woman. I don't want my woman to be over me. I want to be the dominant. I want to protect her. I want to be in charge. Therefore, dominant intelligence women, intelligent women having more difficulties finding mates. Yeah, I think that I think that's 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 basically right. And the way that I uh, explain it is uh, a c- controllability. So intelligent women are less easily controllable, they're less easily manipulable by men. And so part of what, I mean, men have evolved to be attracted to women who are high in fertility, but also women who they can control uh, to to some degree. And and women who are more intelligent than them are are gonna outthink them and they're gonna be less controllable. Because no, that's not, that's not, not necessarily admirable, no, but it's just part of our mating psychology. It, it seems like every page of your book screams out that, you know, the modern feminist theories about everything is equal and everything is social construct are just don't, are, are not true. 
you can't yeah. read your book and say yes the sex differences are only a social construct or or, yeah, yeah. or can be or can be manipulated mm-hmm. via education it, it it's like there is something mm-hmm. much more profound underneath yes yeah uh, and, and i agree with that i mean the this this uh, i call it sex difference denialism and i think it's just absurd because the scientific evidence is very very clear um and the meta theory of evolutionary psychology is very clear so we only expect to see sex differences in domains in which men and women have faced recurrently different adaptive challenges over the course of human evolutionary history in many domains uh, the sexes are very similar to each other but as it turns out in the mating domain in the sexuality domain the problems and challenges that men and women have faced have been profoundly different and so we have evolved fundamentally different mating and sexual psychologies And so to pretend otherwise is just, um, in my view, um, uh, naive. It's like the inherent conflict. So I, I always stated that, that a platonic uh, relationship like, are like, a, there is a saying in Israel that a platonic relationship are like BDSM. Although the two sides agree upon it, it might be okay, but it's still something... Uh, something weird so so there is no way of a platonic relationship because there is an inherent tension and from there i would like to move on to the dark side of your book now in 1975 susan Miller stated that rape is a conscious process of intimidation by which all men keep all women in state of fear again all men keep all women in state of fear. And we hear this from extreme feminists that all men are, all men are potentially ra- rapists. Now, this is an outrageous uh, claim, but we hear it occasionally, more often than not. Now, and my question to you is, which men under which circumstances engage in which form of sexual violence? Yeah, so that's a good question. And so... Uh, just on Susan Brown Miller, um, I think she was uh, important in highlighting the importance of rape in warfare, because rape is a very common occurrence in, in warfare. However, the notion that all men are, are rapists or would be rapists under the right circumstances, I think is fundamentally wrong. And one of the things I do in my book is highlight uh, the answer to your question, which is what is the subset of men Who are most likely to engage in rape or sexual assault or sexual harassment and it's uh, the dark triad personality traits combined with a short-term mating strategy so dark triad is uh, narcissism Machiavellianism and psychopathy where narcissism uh, these are people who are of a grandiose sense of self they they believe that they are a God's gift to women they They exaggerate or believe that they're more attractive, more intelligent, more successful than they really are. Uh, and, and importantly, they feel a sense of entitlement and that extends to sexual entitlement. Uh, Machiavellianism is basically, uh, as I'm sure all your listeners know, is coined from the, uh, the Italian advisor to a prince, uh, called, uh, his name is Machiavelli. Uh, and... Uh, And basically that is people who tend to pursue an exploitative social strategy. So there's the liars, the cheaters and so forth. And then the hallmark of psychopathy is lack of empathy. 
so most humans have an empathy circuit where we feel uh, when someone is harmed or a pet, an animal, a, a child, we feel a sense of deep compassion for the hurt that they experience. Psychopaths don't. It's like their empathy circuit is absent. And so you take this dark triad traits, narcissism, Machiavellianism, and psychopathy, and you combine it with a dispositional pursuit of a short-term mating strategy, these, that's- This is, is the, the which circumstances, because we, you just answer which men, like the dark triad. Right. Now, you, uh, now you're going to answer which circumstances, like the, in, the per, per, in the pursuit of short-term relationship, yes? Yes, in the pursuit of short-term relationships and um, when men in are, are in a position of power and can get, get away with it. And this is it's actually a, a point where uh, I uh, disagree profoundly with some of my evolutionary psychology colleagues who I respect greatly, where, who argue that it's uh, loser males who are most likely to commit sexual assault. Uh, and I read the evidence is actually the opposite. It's men who are in a position to get away with it, uh, who are most likely to commit sexual assault. And so the, the, the newspaper case and the prominent case of the Harvey Weinstein, Bill Cosby, Jeffrey Epstein, I'm sure these have made news in Israel as well, I, I assume. Uh, By the way, we have our own <laughs> Jeffrey Epstein. <laughs> <laughs> is, that, is that right? Is that, who, who is that? Uh, no, like Never. people in Israel, we have like a, like a famous actor. We just got uh, sentenced for 11 months in jail. And uh, mm-hmm. the late, uh, we had a president, a president, uh, Moshe Katsav, which was convicted mm-hmm. for five years in prison. So it, uh, it's like, you know, the Me Too environment uh, uh, beside doing, uh, uh, also did many good things in uh, clearing all the bad atmosphere and say, listen, you cannot treat women like you used to treat women. And we actually in Israel of the 60s, 70s and 80s, and I think it was the same in the US, we didn't treat women as we should, or society, it's not me, I wasn't born then, but society didn't treat women as it should. And I'm not saying that society now treats women perfectly, but uh, it was a very, uh, very important procedure or very important phase that we as a society need to uh, pass. Okay, so now you, you answered which men under, under which circumstances, but you still didn't answer which form of sexual violence. Is it only rape or stalking or other forms? Yeah, well, well it's, it's primarily forms of what I call sexual coercion which is a broader term that encompasses sexual harassment, uh, unwanted, everything from unwanted sexual attention through sexual harassment, through sexual assault. And so that subset of men, dark triad and short-term mating strategy, they engage in all those things. They also engage in um, attempts at at honest courtship, seduction, deception, and so forth. So these men are often very successful at uh, in in the mating game, but they use sexual coercion when these other modes don't work, uh, and so and so it's not the it, it's typically not the loser males, uh, but rather the guys who can get away with it that have these personality traits and mating strategies that are most likely to do it. 
Okay. Now, another thing that you uh, write in your book, and let me just quote, after reviewing voluminous data, I will argue that there is no compelling evidence that humans have evolved specialized rape adaptations. And indeed, some evidence flatly refuted specific rape adaptation hypothesis. So what is the rape ad adaptation hypothesis? Hy no, it is hard for me to say, okay, but hypothesis, <laughs> yeah. thank you so much. And <laughs> <laughs> thank you, I'm sorry. And why is it false? Uh, well, so um, the, the rape adaptation hypothesis, this has been most um, heavily advanced by Randy Thornhill, who's a very uh, respectable and intelligent evolutionary biologist, uh, is, that, is that humans like some other species have evolved specialized rape adaptations. So the example that he uses is scorpion flies that have a specific anatomical feature. It's called a nodal clamp that are, is only used in the context of forcing other female scorpion flies to have, to have sex, sexual coercion or, or rape. Um, humans obviously don't have anything like that. We don't have any anatomical features for that. And so it rests with the, the underlying psychology. Do men have specialized design features that have evolved specifically to rape females. And it, it's a perfectly legitimate hypothesis, but I argue that there's currently no evidence for that. That is, for example, we know that men uh, uh, desire sexual variety. We know that men use aggression, but aggression is not rape specific. Men use aggression to uh, steal, to mug other men, to go to war, etc. Uh, and, and sometimes use, sexual, use physical aggression in the service of their sexual goals. But that's not a rape-specific adaptation. It's a strategy that men use in a wide variety of contexts. So uh, it's possible that at some point in the future, uh, there will be evidence for specific rape adaptations uh, in the human case, but it, we are far from that at the current point. Now, uh, let me suggest something different and I won't use the word hypothesis because uh, apparently I can I cannot say it okay now in the area of me too the most sell sold book uh, is 50 shades of gray and 50 shades of gray basically said listen the relationship or like the basic structure or the 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 architect structure of men-female relationship is not between equals. There is like a dominant thing, one dominant, the other. And we have also philosophers who also, also mentioned that like Friedrich Nietzsche and others. So we might say, it's, I'm just asking a question that we are built because the relationship are not between equal to be more aggressive, more dominant, like in Fifty Shades of Grey, and maybe, just maybe, rape is take this kind of behavior to the extreme. Well, well, I, I, I would say that you have, we have to make distinctions here. So on the Fifty Shades of Grey, uh, so when most people think of the term rape, they think of a, an ugly, drooling stranger jumping out of a dark alley and attacking a woman. Uh, this is not something that women are attracted to at all. Uh, so the Fifty Shades of Grey is very similar to the Harlequin romance novels, a very popular genre of females, where what they, they're attracted to guys who are successful, 
handsome, uh, well-respected by everyone. And in the case of Fifty Shades of Grey and these others, men who can have sexual access to any woman they want, but find themselves uniquely attracted to a specific woman. And, and, but, and you that, ignore, so, but you ignore the violence part in Fifty Shades of Grey. It's not well, that it's, what you just said is completely yeah. true, but we have another yeah. aspect mm-hmm. in Fifty Shades of Grey, which is like the BDSM stuff. Okay, well, uh, I, I confess I haven't read, read it in detail. No, I, no, I, it's I like, it. you know, like all yeah. things, like, like, you know, it, it's part of, it, it's an it's a act of violence over there. It's not violence, it's like an a, accepted violence, both, both sides right, agree. Right. Okay, so, but that's the key point, though, is so it's consensual. Consensual, yes. Okay. Yeah, yeah, so, so that is the, the woman is agreeing in, implicitly or explicitly that she is consenting to this uh, agreement. And my understanding is that in Fifty Shades of Grey, the woman actually signs a contract to, to that effect. And so that's different from the dark, ugly, drooling, definitely, unsuccessful Definitely, definitely. Yeah, But I'm so. just asking, maybe uh, this, this is derived from the same thing. I, again, I, I'm, I'm asking a question, you are the expert. Yeah, so, so but, but what, what theme are, are you hi- trying to highlight here? I is think it... that like, there, 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 there is a claim that rape has nothing to do with sex. Rape is like a different thing. It, it has nothing to do with sex. And many, right, well, and, and many people yeah. say, no, like stealing has something with money and other bad behavior. But if you separate, could you separate rape mm-hmm. from sex? So well, isn't well, so, rape, yeah. yeah, yes, isn't rape like a bad mean, a, a, a horrible mean for sex, or rape is completely different thing that stems from different uh, 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 parts of the human soul? So, so the uh, I think a distinction has to be made, and I do in in my book between the sexual psychology of the male and the the victim of, of rape. And so to say from the sexual psychology of the male that rape has nothing to do with sex, of course, is, is absurd. Uh, and you, you interviews with rapists, they, they will tell you, except if they're coached by, uh, you know, uh, ideologues, they, they will say, yeah, I wanted to have sex with this woman. That's why I, I did it. But from the victim's perspective, it's not sex because many or a lot of women conceptualize sex as in the context of a, an intimate relationship, a committed relationship. Uh, and, so, and so from a female perspective, it is an act of violence. Uh, and from a male perspective, it is an act of, of sex and the violence is a means to get the sex. Uh, and so I think we have to separate out the, uh, the perpetrators and the victim's sexual psychology in addressing that question. And, and, and so, you know, we, we and, and um, and get past the the ideology. The other important point I think on this issue is that uh, people think that human behavior is motivated by one thing. They wanna trace it to one motive. Well, it's often not one motive. I mean, there can be uh, motives for sex, motives for power, and these often intermingle. Okay, now again, it's important to state upfront 
that those behaviors are horrible and we as society want to eliminate them yeah. completely. But again, just like you said that we, uh, uh, we are doing cancer research, this research is extremely important just, just for the sake of understanding those bad behaviors and eliminate them uh, hopefully completely from our society. So it's it, very it, important it, to stay upfront. Yeah, exactly. And that's what I hope, um, I, that's why I wrote the book is because I want to uh, eliminate bad behavior. I want to eliminate sexual violence bypassing the female choice, which uh, sexual violence is fundamentally involved in. Uh, and we can't eliminate it without understanding the causes and which men are doing it and the circumstances in which men are doing it. By the so way, your book mm -hmm. is devoted or, uh, for everyone who has suffered from sexual conflict. So it, it is a very powerful thing. Now let's move on. We have like nine more minutes. So I, I want to move on to the, like the most, the hardest questions. Would you think that evolutionary... Oh, yeah. I thought these were pretty hard questions. Uh, no, 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 no. We are just more... <laughs> okay, now we get <laughs> to the hard ones. Yes. Would you think that evolutionary biology or evolutionary psychology leans toward any side of the political map, like progressivism versus conservatism, or is it mere facts and can be interpreted, in, inter interpreted both ways? Now, I would argue that... Uh, evolutionary biology or evolutionary psychology lean towards more towards the conservative conservatism uh, okay. side of the political no, map. I, I, I disagree with that, but I have to take one, one break for one second, please. Just one second. Yes, uh, yeah, I disagree. I, I, I think that um, evolutionary psychology is really neutral with respect to political orientation. Uh, and there, there are studies uh, that have looked at the political orientation of evolutionary psychologists as opposed to uh, standard social scientists who are not evolutionary. And there's really no difference. You, you find the whole spectrum uh, from liberal to conservative. Uh, and so, so I don't think it really supports um, any particular ideology. Why, why do you say that you think it supports a conservative I, ideology? I, I say that... I, th I think that sex conflict de uh, denialism, like you said, is part of the progressive approach. And since your book highly or, or, or specifically refute those hypotheses, therefore mm. it cannot be leaned toward the progressive side because I think, or I, uh, I think that the progressive side of the political map or like the extreme progressive cannot stand the fact that there are like inherent sex differences and that not everything is a social construct. Yeah, so in, in that respect, I, I would agree with you, uh, but there are also, and, and I don't know how it is in Israel, but on, in, in America, uh, those who are on the, the right, the political right, the conservative end are, are often very uh, deeply religious and they reject evolutionary theory, period. And so they, 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 no, they yeah, reject yeah, no, 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 Okay, no, no, no. So I'm not talking about this. I'm talking about oh. the, the extreme progressivism that cannot cope with the evolutionary psychology uh, evidence or, or ideas or what you just said. Listen, men and women just behave differently in yeah. every, almost every aspect. And the last question that mm -hmm. I would like to ask 
there, it seems like there is an evolutionary of sexual morality because the natural state is not like Rousseau says, but like Hobbes is violence, okay? From there we progress more and more to more regulation, less violence from tribalism and religion. Religion provide many sex restriction, female modesty, male self-sex discipline, and the climax of those regulation is in the Victorian era. And from there we get downhill, less and less sex regulation, all the way to what we are seeing right now that almost no sex regulation whatsoever and uh, sex out of wedlock is, is, is like an option. And my question is, if we uh, eliminate almost all regulations, aren't we go back to the natural state? And by that, we, we just enforce violence on the system. So not now, but if we just don't make any sex regulation whatsoever, we wouldn't it be that in four, five, 10 years, we will see an increase in sex violence? Yeah, I, I, think, I think not. So yes, uh, their uh, morals surrounding things like extramarital sex, of course, have changed dramatically over the last couple of decades. But there are also things like sexual harassment, where in universities and in businesses and in legal systems, we have now laws and policies against that form of sexual violence. And so, and so yes, there's been a, uh, uh, a, a liberalization of attitudes for sexuality, but a movement to regulate sexuality in, for example, in the workplace. Uh, and, so, and so I don't think we'll ever get to the point of uh, that there will be more sexual violence. In fact, the trajectory is less sexual violence. And I think attention to these issues is absolutely, is absolutely critical, the causes of sex differences, and I agree with your point about sex difference denialism, uh, is just silly from a scientific point of view at this point. Wow, wow, this was a hell of a roller coaster, and it is a brilliant <laughs> book. Professor David Bass, thank you so much for joining me today on discussing this important topic. Your books are fascinating, and just, you know, like you just have a <clears throat> giant lamp and you just show reality in a different light in different aspects so it's fascinating thank you so much for your time and please keep on the important work that you do at the university of texas thank you thank you thank you thank you uh, and thank you for such an interesting and intelligent conversation about these topics which are very sensitive yeah even for a religious jew like me <laughs> <laughs> yes אם הגעתם עד לכאן, מגיע לכם כל הכבוד. אז תנו לי להגיד לכם שלושה דברים קצרים. הדבר הראשון, אם שמעתם משהו בשיחה שמעניין אתכם, שאתם רוצים לקחת הלאה, פשוט ספרו אותו לאנשים אחרים. משהו מעניין שאני אמרתי, משהו מעניין שהאורח שלי אמר, איזשהו רעיון שאתם רוצים לקחת אתכם לחיים, פשוט ספרו אותו לחבר או לחברה. זאת הדרך הטובה ביותר לזכור. את הרעיונות מתוך השיחות האלה. הדבר השני, אם אתם רוצים לקחת חלק בקהילה שלנו ולפגוש ולדבר עם אנשים כמוכם, אתם מוזמנים לערוץ הטלגרם שלנו, שווה לכם מאוד. פשוט תראו עוד אנשים שמתעניינים מדברים מגניבים בדיוק כמוכם. והדבר האחרון, 
אם אתם יכולים, דרגו את הערוץ שלנו באפליקציית הפודקאסטים שלכם, זה יכול להיות בספוטיפיי, באפל פודקאסט או בגוגל פודקאסט, זה תהליך קצר של שתי שניות, הוא מאוד מאוד יעזור לנו להפיץ את הבשורה הלאה. שיהיה לכם כיף גדול וכיף בשיחה הבאה.